0: Hi y'all, this is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles.
1: Hi, I'm Patty LuPone. This is Lynn manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.
0: This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more.
2: Find a location near you at Bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of
1: America NA member FDIC.
2: Hi, John Schwab here, and welcome to a very special episode of the Curtain Call Theater Podcast. Episode two of our Come From Away series. Welcome to the Rock. Rarely have we had the opportunity to take you on a real deep dive into a show like we'll be doing with this series. In this episode, you'll hear from the real life
3: people behind the characters of the musical, including Mayor Claude, I've always said that we don't have to agree with what people do. I don't have to agree with the way you live your life. You don't have to agree with the way I live mine, what we eat, drink, or do anything. But the one thing we should always do, we should be able to love each other.
4: Sheriff Oz. Well, my name is Oz. Well, it's short for Oswald Fudge. Now there's not too many Oswald Fudges in this world. I've tried to figure that out myself, and I've only found one, me. Captain
2: Beverly Bass.
5: When I was about eight or nine, Then I would start begging people to take me out to the local airport so I could watch the airplanes take off and land. And I thought, that is the coolest job in the whole world.
2: And many, many more. And if you didn't know already... Come From Away tells the true story of when 38 planes and thousands of passengers were diverted to this tiny community in Newfoundland on the northeast corner of North America. And people were invited into uh, the locals' homes. given everything, fed, housed, uh, and people changed their lives
5: there. They fell in love, uh, they they made lifelong friendships, and it's this extraordinary story of kindness set against the backdrop of this terrible tragedy.
2: You just heard the voice of David Hine, one of the writers of Come From Away. But where and when did this incredible story begin? How did the inhabitants of a small rural community on a Canadian island Come to be involved in a musical that transformed one of the most tragic days in human history into one of the biggest shows in modern times. Find out in this series of Welcome to the Rock. Welcome to From Away shares the incredible real life story of the 7,000 air passengers from all over the world who are grounded in Canada during the wake of 9-11 and the small Newfoundland community that invited these Come From Aways into their lives. As uneasiness turned into trust and music swirled into the night, gratitude grew into friendships and their stories became a celebration of hope, humanity, and unity. We have been extremely lucky to be able to sit down with the real inhabitants of Gander, the folks of which the characters in the musical Come From Away are based. We wanted to get the story directly from those that were affected by the events of 9-11. For the people of Gander, Newfoundland, nothing could have prepared them for a day that would change that town and its inhabitants forever. But before that, I think it's important to get a sense of the town to set the scene. Gander in Newfoundland, Canada has one of the largest runways in North America, due to its value as a wartime refueling fueling pit stop for Allied aircraft during World War II. More than 20,000 aircraft made their way through Gander during the war, and by the 1950s, Gander Airport was one of the busiest in the world, handling over 13,000 aircraft and a quarter of a million passengers a year. But with the dawning of the jet age, Gander Airport has become far less busy, and today mainly serves business jets on transatlantic routes. Here's Mayor
3: Claude Elliott. Uh, my name is Claude Elliott. I'm the former mayor of Gander, Newfoundland. Gander is the crossroads of the world by hair. So every flight that leaves Europe in the, in the morning to come across, once you get over halfway across, the nearest airport is Gander. So any emergencies or anything, if there's a storm anywhere, then they, all, they bring the planes to Gander to land because we're the closest airport.
2: Nearly half a decade on, Gander would see airplane traffic like they'd never seen before.
3: Well on September 11th was just like any other ordinary day in Gander and uh, you know, it was a beautiful day and uh, we were, uh, I was at Tim Martin's coffee shop uh, where I go almost every morning. And when someone came in and said that a plane had crashed into the World Trade Center in New York, I never paid much attention to it at that time because, I mean, we know there's a lot of planes going in and out of New York and an accident is possible to happen.
1: My name is Diane Davis and I'm now a retired teacher from Gander Academy. And on September 11th, I was teaching Grade 3 French Immersion. Our bus drivers were on strike, my husband, who's a janitor, was on strike, and um, partway through the morning, children were coming and going whenever parents brought them. And a mother came in a little bit after 10 and said, a plane hit the World Trade Center and I'm here to pick up my son. And we didn't see those two statements as being related. And 10 minutes later, another woman came in and said, the second plane just hit, I need my kids now. And our whole day changed. <laughs>
2: On a beautiful autumn day, blessed with the clearest and bluest of blue skies, a terrorist attack unfolded before our eyes and live on television. All of us on the ground were glued to our TV sets, but for those people that were in the air at the time, they had no idea what was taking place below them. Aboard an American Airlines flight from Paris to Dallas was Captain Beverly Bass.
5: So we left Paris and we're right over the middle of the North Atlantic having our lunch. It's a beautiful day and... We heard on the air to air frequency, which we have to monitor when we're over international waters, but it's just pilots talking to pilots. It's not air traffic control or anything. Somebody came on that frequency and said that uh, an airplane had hit the World Trade Center. So, as pilots, we obviously thought it was a light airplane. And we talked about it and went back to eating our lunch. And then, about I guess it was about 15 or 20 minutes later, they came back on the frequency and said that an American 737 had hit the tower. And right after that came the word terrorism. We didn't know if they meant American registered airplane or American Airlines. Well, as it turned out, it was American Airlines. Right after that, We learned that New York's airspace would be closed, which really didn't affect us, because when you fly from Europe to Dallas, you take a a very northern route, and you don't go through New York's airspace. So they then shut down all of the US airspace. That obviously did affect us, and we started planning for a divert. We're plugging in all the cities in our computers, Toronto, Montreal, Calgary, Edmonton, all the big cities in Canada, And then we learned um, again on air-to-air frequency that we would get our orders at 50 degrees west longitude. When we got to 50 degrees west, which is when you come in contact with Gander Control, they then told us to land the airplane in Gander and land now. And of course, that's never happened to us.
2: For Captain Bass and 37 other pilots heading across the Atlantic, there was only one option, landing immediately. Kevin T. and Kevin J. talk about their experience. We were, uh, Kevin and I were returning uh, from a vacation in Europe,
0: going flying from Paris back to our home in Austin, Texas, and our flight was scheduled to land in New York City on September 11th in that morning. So we were about two hours out when the airspace was closed. All of a sudden, our plane took a steep drop, and we started turning to the north. I looked up at the GPS and it looked like we were headed to the North Pole. Shortly thereafter, the pilot did come on and broke in English saying, due to a terrorist attack in the United States, we'll be landing at Gander, I don't think he even said Newfoundland. He said it in French, and all the French people on the plane screamed and
2: started wailing. We finally got an idea, although it was unbelievable. On the ground, the officials and residents of Gander had no idea what was about to unfold. Most were just starting out on their normal daily routine. Well, my name is
4: Oz, well, it's short for Oswald Fudge. And, uh, I was the town police officer. I was, uh, I police Gander for 30 years, so I was the municipal police officer there. And during uh, 9-11, what it was, the RCMP and a major police force within the town. They were up at the airport, because you can imagine what they had to deal with up there. My job was to police the town, and there was only two municipal police officers for the town of Gander, so it was only two of us. So I worked uh, 12 hours, and he worked 12 hours. Well, oh, for me, I, uh, I, I get a call. Now, I'm not sure exactly what's going on because I'm patrolling the town, and then I get this phone call from the staff sergeant with the RCMP. Get up and back at the airport and get up there now. So I go up there, and I'm looking, and there's, there's about a 1,000 cars going back and forth, and there's people. Uh, This is back in the day when security wasn't that tight. There was people hanging off the fences, looking at what was going on. There was, you know, everything was uh, just, people were everywhere. So I drove up the road further, and we got two runways, one that goes north, south, one goes east and west. So it was the uh, north and south one that they were using. And I stopped by that, and I kinda looked over my shoulder, and I see the jumbo jet, she's coming in, and she's landing, and I kind of follow it in, and then I look over, and then I see another one, an L-1011, which is just a little bit smaller than a jumbo, and it comes in, and I'm starting to think, oh my God. And when I looked, you could see the lights of the plane stacked up, and, and you're going, and you look at how many are
2: already down, and
4: then you're starting to think, Oh my God, this is
2: really happening. In a matter of a couple of hours, the population of Gander had increased from 9,000 to nearly 16,000. Because of the nature of the emergency, officials just couldn't let passengers off the plane. They would have to go through stringent security. Beyond that, nobody knew how long US airspace would be closed. Passengers could be stranded in Gander for a week, which could be a logistical nightmare. But for one Ganderite, panic just wasn't an option. Did I panic? Did I, no. When I looked towards
4: the town and I realized how many planes there were, there was almost like a sense of calm that came over me because I knew in my heart of hearts what the people of Gander were like, what the people of the region were like, and I knew that they would be taken care of. I knew it, in my heart, I knew it.
2: There wasn't going to be a problem. Here's another colorful character you meet in the Come From Away musical. Beulah Cooper.
0: When I was told there was a plane load coming, my response was, I'm happy they're coming here because I know they will be looked after. But not saying they wouldn't be looked after elsewhere, but I knew they would be looked after in Gander, and they were, big time.
2: Residents in Gander were trying to prepare the plane people, as they would come to be known, for what was happening, basically as soon as they landed, something that Beverly Bass was grateful for.
5: We actually landed about 10 or 10.30, I think, Tuesday morning, and when they came on the airplane, they said, you will not be getting off until tomorrow, which it was better to know up front than for them to say, you know, we think you'll get off in two hours. We think you'll get off in five hours. We think you'll get off in an hour. We knew right up front that we were there for the day and for the night. And so the flight attendants had one last meal service, which was kind of a snack that they do before landing on international flights. So they saved that for dinner. And I think they fed them pretty early, like five o'clock, put movies on and put them to bed. And then we were up all night. I mean, the crew didn't sleep at all. We couldn't. And the only thing we could do is listen to the BBC in the cockpit that was the only radio that we had.
2: As the Kevins explain some passengers had other ideas as how to pass the time. At first
0: we were we were told that we would be there just temporarily that we would try to make our way closer to the United States possibly to Toronto or Montreal and so we waited and waited and then the and then sure enough out came the many bottles of liquor and the movies and
2: so we kind of we, we went with it. <laughs> Back on the ground, Mayor Claude was putting his plan into action.
3: Normally, every every town has a disaster plan. I mean, uh, there was nowhere in that plan, nowhere, that 7,000 people was going to drop in for lunch. You know, so we it, it, how do you deal with this? And with 500 hotel rooms, uh, at the beginning we were told that they may only be on the ground for three hours. And then it became five hours, then it became six hours. So I remember saying to the city officials that uh, I don't like what's happening. I, I think that we're going to be here for a while. And I think what we should do is uh, declare a state of emergency and let's get prepared for the worst case scenario that the people are coming off of the planes. So I would rather be over prepared than under prepared. And that's what I did, and you got to realize some of the airlines were calling the hotels trying to book the rooms for the uh, for the passengers. So once we declared a state of emergency, we controlled everything in the in the community, and we wanted to keep the rooms for the crews of the plane. You know that they were the ones who was going to need proper rest, and the rest we would put them out in different places and when we filled up every service group, church or anything in Gander then our neighbouring town started to take some people. So out of 7,000 there was about 4,500 people stayed in Gander and the other 2,000, you know, 2,500 stayed in the communities outside.
2: I just want to take you back
3: to the beginning of that clip for a second. Have a listen. Uh, There was nowhere in that plan, nowhere, that 7,000 people was gonna drop in for lunch.
2: Now that is probably the one thing that has astonished me the most when speaking to the Newfoundlanders involved in this story. The sense of humility they had when it came down to feeding and housing and clothing and helping 7,000 people. They keep saying that all they did was serve sandwiches. And that's just incredible. But I needed to find out why. It is that they thought that. And I think it's just ingrained in the people. The more I asked them about it, the more they had to say. Uh, Durham Flynn,
6: uh, former mayor of the town of Appleton. I was mayor in 9-11 and been mayor for many years since, uh, until recently retired in the past year. And uh, Gander Airport is our airport as well. And, of course, there's uh, the communities of Lewisport, Gambo, Glenwood, Norris Arm. And, of course, Appleton and Gander all came forward that day to uh, to try to look after 7,000 or so people that just dropped out of the sky on our doorstep. People knock on our doors in Newfoundland. If it's a Newfoundlander, we'll invite them in. If it's a come-from-away, we'll invite them in. We look at the person as a person, not as possible enemy or a, or, a, or a possible threat to you. It's it's not that way in probably in big cities and that type of thing, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's a reality that we live on a day-to-day basis a lot of people still don't lock their doors in our little communities you see you got to
4: understand i guess you'll say understand newfoundland but you have to st- understand the culture and the history of newfoundland you had all these small communities around that uh, back back in the 40s and 50s you had no highway you had nothing so the only people that you could rely on was the people within your community. So if something serious happened, your neighbors came to your rescue. If you needed food, your neighbors came to your rescue. We still have that, that thought, that mentality, that way of uh, love thy neighbor, and if you can help them, help them. So it's,
0: it's, it's that type of mentality that we have. Here's bila again. It's inbred in you. I, I grew up in that situation. You had a loaf of bread and your neighbor had none you share it and uh, we we always help each other my husband used to have a saying you never miss what you give away and that's so true so true <laughs>
2: With the plan in place and preparation complete, that giving would start the second the passengers and crew left the plane, as Beverly Bass explains.
5: Well, we got off the plane and on the way into the terminal, they had set up tables and tables and tables because the people of Gander, I guess, had cooked all night long. I mean, there was food for everybody in the airport, which we just could not believe. And so they gave you a plastic bag from the liquor store, I think, and everybody went through and just, lo- it was like Halloween, just loaded up their bags full of food, anything you wanted.
2: For the Kevins, it was more than just food that they were grateful for.
0: They're so sweet. I mean, they're it's like they're from another planet. I mean, we we could have landed you know, thousands of places across the globe and probably would have slept in the gutters. I mean, no one was under any obligation to do anything for us. After our, our school bus drops us off at the College North Atlantic and uh, we go inside, they were nice enough to set up televisions and that's when we finally see those images of the, uh, the planes hitting the World Trade Center. I mean, for me it was quite unusual. I would never had to rely on a stranger for a pillow to lay my head. And, uh, but I'll never forget a young man coming in the door about midnight and he's got an inflatable air mattress, a double size with two pillows. And I thought, aha, I'm a, you know, Kevin and I, we can sleep on this inflatable air mattress instead of the concrete cold floor. So it was a beautiful sentiment though. The bedding wasn't all just thrown in a heap in the middle of the room. They had laid out pallets for every single passenger, a little bed with top sheet, bottom sheet, blanket, pillow. I mean, we were all right next to each other because this was just, these were just classrooms. We finally realized why we'd been on the plane so long. We thought they'd been getting ready. I mean, this is not the sort of thing you can drill for. They had been playing by ear and just
2: the whole community mobilized instantly. From that moment on, the story of Come From Away began and the Newfoundland hospitality never stopped. Mayor of Appleton at the time, Derm Flynn, describes how the community were able to feed the masses, which leads to one of the funniest moments in the musical.
6: Everybody in the community was involved in different things. There was hardly anyone home in their houses, so when, when Tom uh, was, uh, was helping me with the barbecues, he said, you know, you're taking somebody's barbecue and then we're taking another barbecue you know if you did this in
0: New York you'd probably be shot so and meanwhile he was waiting at his truck and out he's sending me into people's yards to take their barbecues and it is not something I would do at home I would never first of all even though there were no fences I wouldn't go on someone's property and um, and then as we're we- I'm wheeling them out, and they're squeaking and they're pulling them out of people's yards. So even though I'm trying to sneak them out, they're making all this noise. And uh, down two houses, there was a, a gentleman sitting there and, and saying, where are you going with the barbecue? I said, down to the community. Durham's right here. And so he figured he, he, could, he
6: figured he could count on me to get him out of trouble, yeah, but no, I wasn't about to.
2: Truck zooming away. <laughs> Knowing how alone and out of place the plain people were, there was definitely one thing that the community could do to make the visitors feel like they belonged. They got screeched in. Here's school teacher Diane Davis to explain.
1: So a screech-in ceremony is um, not as traditional as many people think, but it's basically a ceremony that we use some of our Newfoundland culture and a little bit of humor and some music to initiate a come from away. And there are many variations, but the most correct and proper variations would involve probably eating some bologna, definitely kissing a cod, and it just doesn't count unless you have a screech. It's a variation on a Jamaican rum, and at the end you're given a ceremony and you're considered an honorary Newfoundlander. Uh, We also consider you an ambassador and a member of our army
2: and the lovebirds in the musical, Nick and Diane, had a special screech-in. And we were screeched in.
3: Yeah, honorary Newfoundlanders. And uh, the master of ceremonies,
4: uh, he was a justice of the peace, when he discovered that we weren't married because he thought we were married.
1: Because we were hanging out together.
4: Yeah. He offered to marry us. He said, well, would you like to be? And this lady here goes, well, why not? Why
1: not? i would had two and, beers, just like in the show.
2: And uh, I did, I bought her two more. <laughs> After five days of getting to know the come from a with the inhabitants of Gander and the surrounding communities giving up their food and homes, showing a hospitality that many had never seen before, it was always going to be hard for everyone to say goodbye. Mayor Claude sums it up best.
3: We had people in Ghana from 95 countries. Thousands of people staying in people's homes and they had that personal connection. When the last plane that left and you know we looked at the people's faces so when we saw the tears of joy we didn't need anything else. We knew we had done what we were supposed to do. Uh, I always say that on the first day we had 7,000 strangers On the third day we had 7,000 friends, and on the fifth day we lost 7,000 family members.
2: Ten years on from 9-11, the world's attention would once again be on Gander as the creative team of Come From Away presented a concert version of the musical to the Newfoundlanders and the Plain People, giving them an opportunity to hear their stories and see themselves on stage for the first time. Here's what some of them had to say immediately after seeing it.
5: Absolutely incredible, uh, Awestruck. struck uh, Everybody needs to see this. It is so, so great. You know, happy tears, sad tears, just, just everything, goosebumps, the whole, the whole works. It's kind of surreal, um, somebody actually mentioned to me, a friend of mine is here and, and she said she played your part really well because that's you. <laughs> so so it, uh, yeah, it, it was
3: fantastic. We didn't know what the passengers were going through. So the, the play, the musical, talks about you know the struggles that the passengers had. All we've seen was the work that we done to make them comfortable, but we didn't see the par- if what they were struggling with aboard the planes. Never, never ever saw until t- today and tonight was uh, what the passengers were going through. But it's a phenomenal show. You know, I remember the fun times. I remember the serious times. I remember how we blended them all together. And then in the end, that same feel-good feeling that I get every time I think of that five days and everything around that, it's back. And that, that feel-good thing is going to stay with me forever.
4: You know, I had always wanted to see it, but to be able to see it in your hometown, with with all your family and friends and 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 community, that is that is just unbelievable.
1: Like there was there was a lot of stories that I had told, and there were stories that I'd heard told by colleagues. And then because they amalgamated characters, you knew even if it wasn't the exact same story, you knew that that's what happened at another spot, or you maybe heard somebody who was involved in it before, and it, it, it was phenomenal. The music was amazing. Reg uh, Wright right at the airport says, so you're going to write a musical about people making sandwiches? Good luck with that. And, I mean, it was a great story, and it was interesting sitting with my colleagues and telling them each our experiences at Gander Academy, but I couldn't envision it as a musical. And it was phenomenal it was just the music portrayed not just the sadness and the fear and and everything that happened in it but it was so uplifting too i mean especially here i mean the audience was on their feet a few bars into the last song because they were there they were so proud
2: i think brian mosher half of the duo that would eventually become the reporter janice mosher in the show says it best and sums up his experience with a little prediction.
3: It's incredible. Like I I love it. Uh, I can't say enough good about this because this was awesome. I can't wait to see where this is going to go. My prediction, I predict it was going to Broadway. It's going to Broadway and it's going to go. And the more people see this, the more people are going to want to see this. And this, this is a hit. I predict that I go on record saying this is a hit of hits.
2: And it is a hit a hit currently playing in America, Canada, London, and Australia, and it continues to inspire people across the globe. So there you have it. The journey of the real Newfoundlanders and the come-from-aways, two groups of people who would have in all likelihood never have met were it not for tragic circumstances, but instead have forged bonds that will last not only their lifetimes, but thanks to the musical come-from-away, many lifetimes to come. Join us for the next episode when we talk to the producers of Come From Away and discover just what it takes to bring a small-town Canadian musical to Broadway, the West End, and beyond. See you then.